Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we hope will inspire, encourage, and challenge you to grow closer to God. So sit back, prepare your heart, and see where God can take you. There was a teenager that was wanting to get his driver's license, man. He was biting at the bits to get out and start driving. His dad told him, hey, son, I'm more than happy to help you get your license and uh, let you use the family car. Just two things you're going to need to do. Number one, you got to bring your grades up. The boy was kind of struggling in school. He said, uh, number one, you got to bring your grades up. And then number two, you're going to have to cut your hair. It was those days when all the guys wanted to wear their hair long. And this dad was one of those dads, man. He loved, you know, the really short kind of sharp-looking haircut. He said, son, you got to get your haircut, got to get the grades up, then you can get your driver's license. Weeks went on, and the boy started really applying himself uh, to his uh, school, to his education. And don't you know, one day he comes home, and he brings uh, a report card with all A's and B's. Dad, look at here. I did what you asked me to do, all A's and B's. He said, son, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you, but you still hadn't cut your hair. I need you to cut your hair. He said, Dad, listen, I haven't just been studying for school. I've also been studying my Bible. And in the Bible, I recognize that there's a lot of men in the Bible with long hair. Samson had long hair. Moses had long hair. Even Jesus had long hair. He said, son, I'm glad you're studying your Bible. If you study that Bible more, you'll see, yes, Jesus had long hair, and he walked everywhere he went. So listen, what that dad was doing, what that dad was doing was he was raising the flag, y'all. He was raising the flag. We are continuing our series today called Raise the Flag. What we've observed is that symbolically, we have these flags that have to be raised day to day, week to week. Within our life, spiritually, we have these flags that it's so important that we raise in our lives. Week one, we talked about the white flag of surrender and what an important role surrender plays within the life of anyone who is going to follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about red flags and the fact that God will actually wave red flags for us as a means of warning us about impending danger that we may be facing, and uh, he'll do that through a number of means. If you haven't been in on the last two weeks' teachings, you can go to mycrossroads.org, and we've got them there online for you to learn from and glean from. But today, we want to continue this whole idea that we are to raise these different types of flags within our life. Uh, Flags that really kind of represent these spiritual significant scenarios within uh, each and every one of our lives. On Father's Day, I think it's important to recognize that it's the father's role in every family to raise the right flag. And and I want to kind of just really unpack that thought with you a little bit, and, and I hope to encourage every dad here, every dad joining us online, as well as anyone that has any kind of leadership role, whether it's in your family or, or whether you know it's in your business or whatever, it, it is the father's role in family life to raise the flag for his family. In fact, Ephesians 6 verse 4 Reads like this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. What's Paul admonishing us to do as 
dads who are followers of Jesus, he's admonishing us to raise the flag in our homes. That flag that stands for our Christian faith. That flag that stands for the things that we believe in, the things that we stand for. It's the father's role to raise that flag. Now, historically, especially within Anglo-Saxon traditions, there has been a family flag that would be presented uh, in front of the home, within the home. Uh, Some would refer to it as a coat of arms. Others, as maybe uh, they would refer to it as a family crest. And so the family would uh, actually go to an artist, someone who would design their family crest in such a way that it represented the values of that home. And so, for instance, if uh, the leader of that home had been involved in any type of military service, that would be represented within the flag. Often his vocation, his uh, line of work would be represented within uh, the family crest. Um, if they were people of faith, there would always be religious symbolism within that family crest. And, and these date back centuries and centuries old, uh, even millennia. And you can uh, still see um, surviving uh, family crests when you visit Europe and other nations. What I want to suggest to you today is that we all need a family crest. It might not be a material flag that you're going to put out in front of your family, but on spiritual terms, we need a family crest. We need to know what we believe it and why we believe it. We need to, we need to have our heart wrapped around the things that we stand for, and we need to raise that flag within our family. We need to make the determination as to what kind of family we're going to be, what kind of life we're going to lead, how we're going to treat one another, and how we're going to treat others. And, um, and so I want us to really think as dads about that today. I love a, a passage of Scripture found in 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter has just been explaining to those that would read this letter, what the end of the world is going to look like, the way judgment is going to come upon this world one day. And he follows that line of thinking with this observation. Peter writes by inspiration, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? How many would admit with me that's an important question? He says, what kind of people Ought you to be? And then he answers his own question by saying, You ought to live holy and godly lives. Can I get a better amen there? You ought to live holy and godly lives. But I love this question. What kind of people ought you to be? Dads, can I ask you if you've considered that question as it relates to your own life and as it relates to the family that God's given you? What kind of people ought we to be? When I when I tell you that we all need a family crest, at least spiritually, we need to have design on, you know, what we espouse as families, what we stand for as families, what we believe as families. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the determination has to be made, that we've got to get our heart and our minds wrapped around the kind of people we intend to be, the kind of people we intend to raise in our homes. So here's the question for every dad. What is your family crest? What's represented in those things that really symbolize your faith, your convictions? What is your family crest? What kind of culture are you creating and sustaining within your home? What kind of culture is there? What's the flag, dads, 
that you have raised. I want to take a few moments today, and I want to talk about designing that family crest with you. I want to, I want to talk about what it means, uh, at least on spiritual terms, to get our hearts wrapped around all of these things that are important to us because they're important to God. All these things that we want to be intentional about as we set out to raise our families in the way they should go so when they're older, they'll not depart from it. They'll walk in the ways of the Lord as we have walked in the ways of the Lord. Any families interested in that, say amen. So, so, so let's talk about how you design your family flag. It starts, number one, with a decision. You've got to make that choice. You've got to get very intentional about it. And let me just say to every dad, you can't leave that up to happenstance. You can't just stand around hoping that you're going to have the kind of family that you desire, hoping that your children are going to turn out okay. No, 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 no. Those are things that you've got to really make some decisions about and then get intentional with. You've got to decide. And can I just say to you, if you don't make that decision, someone's going to make that decision for you. And I promise you, when you leave that up to someone else's choice, it's always going to turn out in a way differently than you had hoped. You've got to get very involved in making the decision. Hey, this is the kind of family we're going to be. Hey, dads, I promise you, Hollywood wants to decide that for you. Can we recognize that together? Can we recognize that the entertainment industry is hell-bent on turning our children a direction none of us as dads want them to go? So we can't leave that up to Hollywood. I'll be honest with you. In political circles, there are political people that want your children to turn out a certain way that does not align with what the Scripture says our sons and daughters need to be. And so we can't leave this up to politicians. We can't leave this up to the school board. And listen, I, I am grateful for every teacher, every educator. God bless you. But listen, there are political things involved in our school systems today that as parents, we can't leave the rearing of our children up to people that have a whole other design for where our kids are going to end up than we do and God does. Amen? We got to decide that. We've got to decide that. That's, we've got to decide that. I love Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, where Joshua stands before every dad in Israel as they're getting ready to enter into the promised land, that land of promise that God has given them. Joshua confronts every dad in Israel. And in verse 15, here's what he says. He said, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Did you hear what Joshua said? He said, I'm raising the flag for Joshua and company. I'm going to raise that flag. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Dads, that's the decision you and I have to make. We have to decide we're going to serve the Lord. Our children are going to serve the Lord. Our grandchildren are going to serve the Lord. Generations after me are going to be serving the Lord because I've made that decision. I love that Joshua didn't even leave it up to debate. He didn't bring the family around and go, well, y'all think, guys. No, 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 no. He stood up and made the decision for them. 
He made that decision. As for me and my house, I'm including every member of my household. We will serve the Lord. I, I um, was given some statistics a couple of weeks ago that were shocking to me. My heart became so heavy as I realized what these statistics reveal. Do you know that in the 1960s, the decade that I was born, in the 1960s, less than 4% of the American population was fatherless. Less than 4%. In other words, 96% of American homes had a dad in that home in the 1960s. You know what that stat is today? Today, over 50% of our homes are fatherless. No dad present. Now consider what that's led to. All of us were grieved a, a week or so ago when there was yet another mass school shooting. And, and, and here we are, you know, days later, still trying to figure this out. How can we figure this out? I, I'll tell you how we can figure this out. Make some decisions as dads as to what our homes are going to be like. Listen to me. Listen to this statistic. Listen, listen to this. Over 95% of mass shootings are carried out by men raised without a father. You want to you know what the remedy is? Let's have, and, and can I just right now applaud every dad in this room, every dad joining us online that is serving God and serving your family and you're there in the home and you're engaged in your, your family's life, your children's life. I applaud you today. I applaud you today. Did you know that every person on death row right now was raised in a fatherless home? All of us, our heads are spinning with what's happening culturally with gender confusion. It's just crazy how this has landed in our laps. All of a sudden, there are people that don't even know, am I a man or a woman? Do you realize with me that gender identity issues in America have risen at the same rate as fatherlessness? We've got to acknowledge that it's up to dads to raise the flag in the home and make the decision. As for me and I, my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, those decisions that we make, that flag that we raise, all of it needs to be biblically based. We need to look to the sacred scripture to take our cues as to what kind of family we're going to be, what kind of man, men we're going to be, and then what kind of men we're going to raise and daughters we're going to raise. We need to look to scripture and take our cues from the Bible, from the holy inspired word of God and base our decision on what God's word reveals and then raise that flag. Second thing you got to do, along with making the decision, is you've got to define. You can't just make these blanket statements, we're going to be this or we're going to be that, and then leave it up to everybody else to kind of interpret what that means. No, we have to define it. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2 uh, says, write the vision down and then make it plain so he may run who reads it. We need to make very, very plain. We need to make very, very clear. We need to make very, very um, understandable these values that we've decided upon. Uh, hey, here's what we believe in. This is what we stand for, and this is what that looks like. So let's just say that family value is respect. In our home, we're going to respect each other. We're going to respect our fellow man. You've got to really define that. Don't just make the decision, but actually define that. What that means is we're not going to call each other names here. 
We're not going to do that. We're not going to allow that in our home. Uh, You might want to say, hey, we're going to raise our children up to say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am to their elders. And you might push back on me right now with that, and you might have the idea that, oh, that sounds too authoritarian to me, Jeff. That sounds like a little heavy-handedness. I promise you, you raise up children that know how to honor their elders, elders they're going to get so far ahead in life above everyone who doesn't know how to do it. You're going to do them a great, great service. Respect in your home might mean, hey, we're courteous in our home. We think of others before ourselves. We're considerate of one another. We act kindly to each other. And you just define what you've decided. Thirdly, you declare it. At some point, it's just got to be said. Here's what we believe. Here's what we stand for. Here's who we are. We've got to declare it. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 19, the Bible tells every parent, teach the law of God to your children. Talking about those laws when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. We need to be talking about who we are and and why we've decided to be that kind of people. Culture is established by language. When you visit other cultures, the first thing you're going to see is there's a language different than yours. Culture is, is, is really established by language. And so we've got to use language. We've got to use the power of our words to instill an ethic within the life of those that we influence, those that we're raising up, raising up to the glory of God. So I'll give you an example. Uh, so I mentioned that I was raised in the 1960s, and those were turbulent times. And I was raised by people that had always lived in a segregated culture. I lived, you know, we grew up here in the South. And uh, we lived in a segregated culture. In fact, they did not desegregate the schools in Washita Parish where I grew up until I was in the first grade. And uh, it's just the way things were. And so whites lived in one location and blacks lived in another location. And whites ate at one restaurant and blacks uh, ate at another restaurant. And it was the way of the world. And then the civil rights movement happened. And Don and I were greatly influenced by the civil rights movement uh, and the advancements that were made there. And so we made the decision, hey, we're not going to have the same kind of ideas that we were raised with or that we had family that believed, language that they used, things that they would use, derogatory uh, words that they would use, jokes that they would make. We decided we're not having that. We want our children to be raised to respect everyone, honor everyone, to celebrate diversity. And, uh, and so, I got to tell you, we had to have some very difficult conversations with family that had different ideas. And we just had to let them know, that's not the kind of family we are. We don't use those words. We don't tell those jokes. We're going to honor people, and we're going to celebrate diversity, and we're going to embrace our fellow man regardless of the color of their skin. Come on, y'all. And, and let me just say this. Let me just say this. So today, you might not be even aware, today is Juneteenth, that day that marks the moment where freedom finally reached everybody. Because even though our nation was established in 1776 in order to, you know, recognize the dignity of every human being and that every human being is created with certain inalienable rights, There were many among us that were denied those rights until finally the Civil War happened. And even after the Civil War happened and everyone was declared free men and women, 
It took a long time for that news to reach Galveston, Texas, by, uh, of all places, was the last place where the news finally traveled to, and slaves there were set free. That happened on July 19th. So today, we celebrate, and I think we ought to give God praise and thanks and glory that every American is free. And by the way, this Wednesday, we're going to be celebrating Juneteenth in our Inspire Night of Unity. I've got a great friend, an African-American pastor from Oklahoma. This dude can preach the paint off the walls. He's going to be here preaching. Donnie Bolden's going to be here with Megan and our team leading us in worship. Megan's assembled a choir for us that night. Don't miss it. This Wednesday, 6.30, our Inspire Night of unity, we're going to celebrate what God has done in raising up a church here with diversity where we love one another and we stand together locked arm in arm in that racial harmony and unity. Come on, somebody say thank God. Mark chapter 11, verse 22 and 23 says, have faith in God. I'll tell you the truth, anyone who says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Notice it's only done for him when he says it. So we've got to declare, we've got to declare the culture of our home. Number four, we've got to develop it. Once it's been decided, defined, and declared, we've got to develop it. We've got to begin to uh, hold everybody to that standard. We got to raise that flag and then hold everyone to that standard. I love what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, where he tells the Corinthians, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Hey, dads, we got to be able to say that to our children, our grandchildren. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. You see, cultural development. If we're going to develop a certain culture in our home, it's going to depend on our example. We've got to set the example. We can't tell them what to do. We've got to show them what to do. We've got to demonstrate it in our own choices. So cultural development depends on our example and it depends on accountability. Holding ourselves as well as those we lead accountable to that standard, that flag that we've raised. And then we reinforce culture through effective means of discipleship. Now, as a, a, a dad raising children, and, uh, and as a pastor leading a congregation, let me just say that there have been a number of times through the years when I had to have very difficult conversations. Things are going on that I've got to handle that I've got to be honest with you. I don't want to handle it. I don't want the drama. I don't want to deal with it, but it's my job. It's my job. I raise the flag. And so what we've kind of lovingly coined those moments here as a leadership team at Crossroads is we call them discipleship moments. When something happens and you got to have one of those difficult conversations, we just look at each other and go, we're going to have to have, we're going to have to disciple that person through this moment. We're going to have to just take and lead them through this moment in a, a way that is a, a discipling measure. It holds us accountable. It provides the example. And that's how we develop culture. Number five, Last thing I want to point out is we've got to defend it. We've got to defend that culture that we've developed. I promise you this world's going to try to tear it down. It wants to take down your flag. It wants to do everything. This culture wants to do everything it can to push you in a corner so that you cannot be heard. To take your flag down and make you align yourself, your family, your home with their Lack of values. I'm not even going to call what they believe of values. 
And so we've got to defend what we believe. We've got to defend what we stand for. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 12, the scripture tells us to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, July 4th is coming up here in a few weeks, and we'll be singing that old Lee Greenwood song, I'm proud to be an American. And I love that line in the song that said, I'd, I'd gladly stand up next to you and defend her till today. We've got to have that attitude towards faith, family, what we believe, what we stand for. We've got to be willing to defend that. Can I just say the family flag is worth defending, y'all? It's worth defending. In Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14, Nehemiah and his fellow Israelites are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And they're being attacked. Opposing neighbors want that flag down. And so they're being attacked. And here's what Nehemiah says in chapter 4 verse 14. He says, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families. That's what I came to church to tell every dad today. Every dad joining us online, fight for your families. Fight to keep that flag raised in your household. Right here in Nehemiah 4.14, we see how to do it. We see how to defend the family flag. Can I just, just I'll close by just kind of breaking that down. Number one, you, you take a stand. You take a stand. Nehemiah said, after I looked things over, I stood up. I'm looking for some men that's going to stand up today. It's been said, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And that's where we are in American culture today. I need some men to stand up, to take a stand, to say, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I understand what the world's trying to make us, but we're not going to be that. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Men, we got to stand up. we got to stand up. Ephesians 6 verse 13 says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand. Men, that's my message to you today. Stand up. And remain standing. Number two, Nehemiah says, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles. And that's the second thing, guys, you got to do if you're going to defend the family flag is you got to get some nobles around you. Who are the nobles speaking into your life? Who are the men of noble character that hold you accountable, that encourage you and challenge you when you need the challenge? Come on, somebody. The reason why we promote small groups so diligently here at our church is because we understand, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And you've got to get some nobles around you if the flag is going to stay in place in your life individually and collectively as a family. You've got to have those nobles around you where their iron is sharpening your iron. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 warns us, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Get some nobles in your life so you can defend the family flag. Then number three, I love what he said. He said, don't be afraid of them. And that's my third point. If we're going to defend the family flag, we've got to refuse to fear our enemy. Now, I know things are frightening right now. I know that the, the things our culture is doing is looming large in all of our eyes. And we're, we're seeing it for the threat that it is. And it would be easy for us to be intimidated. 
It would be easy for us to just sit back in silence and let things go on that cannot be allowed to go on. And I'm saying to us men, refuse to fear your enemy. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. If God be for you, who can be against you? A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand, but it won't come near you. Listen, through my God, I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall. Don't fear your enemy. There are 365 fear knots in the Bible. One for every day and every threat that you're ever going to face. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, Men, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Some months back, I was attending a funeral in Baton Rouge. I wasn't officiating. I was attending uh, to be there in support for a family friend. Donna was with me, Pastor Bud and his wife Yo were with me, and we were on the back row. Uh, we got stuck in traffic, if you can believe that, in Baton Rouge, and, um, and so we were running really, really close to things starting, and so we were sitting on the back row. About halfway through this service, a man stands up. Now, you couldn't not notice him. He was huge, probably 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six. had to be at least 260, 270, large man. And I noticed right away that he had a weapon strapped on his belt. He's not, he's not dressed in any other way that would indicate he's law enforcement. He's just a guy with a gun. And this is not a, uh, look, I, I, I'm not here to discuss the Second Amendment with you. We're not going to make any kind of political statement. But a guy with a gun at a funeral doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And it immediately alarmed me. It immediately. Because, come on, y'all, we live in a crazy world. What alarmed me more was the man got up, he walked out of his row, and he walked right down on the, the row beside me, which was the outer wall of the little chapel, and there's an exit door right behind my row, and he stood right there at that exit door looking over that crowd. A man with a gun at an exit row. I've been at enough dysfunctional family funerals to know this could be bad. And Maybe your mind doesn't work like my mind works, but immediately my mind said, prepare to defend your family. That if this goes bad, I may die today, but I'm going to die on my feet. And I began to, to put a plan together. He's much taller, much younger, much bigger, much stronger. I got one shot. I got to punch that guy in the throat. <laughs> now, I know. Listen. I know you're sitting there thinking to yourself, what kind of church is pastored by a guy that would punch another man in the throat? It's my one shot. The only chance I have. And I, and I, I mean, it's even as detailed in my mind as he's on my right. This is my prominent hand, my stronger arm. I can't get it to his throat. I got to do this left-handed. I'm going through this whole scenario. Y'all laughing, but I was ready to throw down. You're not taking out my family and my friends. Thank God. <laughs> the man went and sat back down, and there was no incident. But I'm telling you, I was ready to fight that day. And I'm looking for some men in this room. Listen, our battle, our fight... Listen, it's not always with our fists. It's on our knees 
It's with our integrity. It's with what we stand for. It's with our prayer life. It's with our, it's with our witness. And I'm looking for some men today that recognize the threat that exists out there in a fallen world. That we have a very real enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I'm looking for men that are going to say, not on my watch. Not my home, not my family, not my children, not my wife, not my church. No, 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 no. I'm going to stand having done all to stand, and I'm going to defend the family flag. Hey, everyone. This is Pastor Jeff Abels, and I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been dealing with your heart as you've listened to this message, and you feel like you just need to get right with God. If you have no real assurance that you are right with God, if you cannot honestly say you've been living for God, and you know that needs to change, I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now. You know, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means God loves you and God's ready to save you. He's just waiting on you to call on Him. Why don't you call on him right now by praying a very simple prayer with me. I want you to repeat the words of this prayer after me. Let those words come right from your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from God. And I don't want that. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again. Through faith in Jesus, I believe my life can change. So I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive all my sin, and change my life. Be Lord of my life from this day forward. I don't live for me anymore or this world. God, I want to live for you. Help me to do that. And I thank you right now, even as I pray, according to your promise, my sin is all forgiven. I'm now right with God. I am saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with me, we would really love to know about it. We'd love to give you some next steps to get you started on your brand new journey of faith. What I'd love for you to do is just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. And someone will connect with you to provide you with some resources that I think will help you greatly. Again, just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast today, and God richly bless you is our prayer for you.